Dear Father, we're so thankful that we can be in your house today to worship and exalt your holy name, to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and hear your word. And I pray that you'd prepare our hearts and minds for what you want to do in us and through us today and throughout this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are the body. Uh, That song by Casting Crowns uh, talks about how believers should behave compared to how they were actually behaving, how they were conducting themselves. And as we work through this message, we're going to be challenged on how we conduct ourselves in light of what God has called us to do. But first, it's important to be part of the body of Christ. I wasn't always part of the body of Christ. Uh, I went to church, uh, but I wasn't connected to the body. And for some people, that's confusing. Uh, They think, you know, if you go to church, you're in. Uh, But going to church doesn't make you a believer any more than walking into McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. Uh, Some people go because of family obligation. Uh, Others go because it's a social event. They get to see their friends there, and they're they're excited to see their friends, but that's kind of all it is. Uh, Others go because they want to kind of nibble around the edges of something spiritual. Uh, They can tell others, you know, I go to church. Uh, for me, growing up in church, it was kind of a basic head knowledge. Uh, I heard the stories in Sunday school class, the Old Testament, New Testament stories. I knew about God, but I didn't have any actual heart change. Uh, I didn't commit to Christ until I was about 16 years old. And in my teen years, I did some foolish things and, and made some poor decisions. Uh, let me share with you a few examples. Uh, when I was in sixth grade in my neighborhood... Uh, in the wintertime when it snowed, kind of like today, if the snow was packing really well, my friends and I would like to go and throw snowballs at cars. Um, I'm sure nobody else has done that. And you might be thinking, that's kind of a, not a nice thing to do. You're right, it wasn't a nice thing to do. Um, you weren't really thinking, but I was in sixth grade, and I have discovered working with middle school students that most of them don't think uh, most of the time. And so our plan was that we would uh, get between two houses and uh, so the cars couldn't see us. And I had a fourth grade friend uh, named Joel. And, of course, the Beckmans will know Joel. Randy, your son, was never with us throwing snowballs. Okay? Never. Seriously. He was a saint. Cough, cough. Uh, anyway, um, so Joel would sit at the corner of the house, and he would let us know that a car was coming. And we didn't really look at the maker model of the car. It was kind of a throw and go. The, we'd see the car, we'd throw, and we'd run. We weren't even sure if we hit the car. And the houses that we were between, there was this huge hill behind us, and we had all our snow gear on. So we figured, uh, you know, if we hit the car and they pull over to get out, we go down this big hill, they're not going to want to run through the snow. And so Joel, he'd let us know if they pulled over and if they were getting out of the car, and then we'd really run fast to the neighborhood. And uh, most of the time, Joel wouldn't say anything to us because we'd miss the car because we were just bad at throwing. Uh, Every now and then, uh, we'd hit a car, and he'd say, no, they just kept on driving. So this one time, we're waiting, and these car's coming, and we're excited, and I got my snow, and we throw and let it go, and I run down the hill, and we're looking up to Joel to say, did someone pull over? And he says, hey, there's a car pulling over. And we're like, are they getting out? And, And Joel says, hey, Jeff. I'm like, what? He said, it's your mom. No lie. I threw a snowball at my own mom's car. He said, didn't you recognize the make and model of your mom's car? No, because I was in sixth grade. I told you, middle school students don't use the full brain capacity. And what's so funny is Joel knew my mom really well, so he was like, hey, Mrs. Heil, yeah, Jeff's at the bottom of the hill. I'm like, thanks a lot. You know there's those times when you're just busted? Your synapses are firing for the best lie you can come up with, but part of your brain says, stop. There's no lie that's going to get... How many of you, just, you've been busted before? 
Yeah, you've been there before. So, so I go up and I, I, I get in the car and, um, and I say, Mom, I'm sorry I was throwing snowballs at the car. She says, well, I was driving around looking for you because I wanted to take you to McDonald's for dinner. And I was like, oh, man. You know, that's, unfortunately, there's more, okay? A few years later in eighth grade, I was throwing apples at cars. You're like, apples at cars? That's dangerous. Once again, brain power was on low at that time. You know, there is something, though, about throwing a projectile at a moving object that is cool, okay? Uh, that's how the forward pass got invented in football. You know, seriously, the quarterback was tired of handing it off to the running back, and he said, I want to throw it at someone, and that's how the forward pass was invented. So anyway, I, I got caught, and it's like, you get caught doing this. Yeah, I got caught, uh, and I got in big trouble, and so those were the end of my days of throwing things at cars. Um, those decisions were foolish and potentially dangerous. Uh, maybe you can identify with making foolish decisions as a teenager. How many of you that I've been sharing the story could re- recall a story from your own teenage years where you did something foolish and dangerous. Some of you are like pointing to your spouse. Well, yeah, okay. I I remember when I was a junior in high school, I was never into drinking. Uh, The party scene wasn't my thing. First of all, I wasn't cool enough to be in the party scene in high school. But uh, once I tasted beer, and I think it's nasty, and sometimes I go out with friends now, and they're like, hey, you want to sip my beer? And I'll drink it, and it's still nasty. Uh, People say beer's an acquired taste. I have a problem with that. If I have to kill my taste buds to enjoy something, uh, I don't think I should drink it. And so I just never got into drinking beer. But I remember being in physics class, and these two guys were like, yeah, yeah, man, we went to this great party on Saturday night, and we got smashed. And, and the one guy's like, the next day I woke up at my house, but I don't know where my car was. And uh, he got so drunk, fortunately, someone had drove him home, but he, they'd left his car at the party, didn't know where it was. And I thought to myself, you know, I thought the idea of going to a party was to have fun, not to get so smashed you couldn't remember what was going on. Uh, but maybe, don't raise any hands, maybe you can relate to some of those times as a teenager where you were partying too much. Maybe... You got caught lying to your parents or maybe cheating on a test. Um, The reality is, is that all of us have made foolish decisions as teenagers. But it goes beyond that. As students and adults, we've made sinful decisions, selfish decisions, uh, that have had a negative impact on our lives, our loved ones, and especially our relationship with God. Uh, Here's what it says in Romans 3, 9-12. For we've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, let's take a moment and just kind of look at what the scripture calls us. We're all under the power of sin, which means we're sinners. None of us is righteous, not even one. Uh, There's no one who understands. If someone consistently doesn't understand something... After a while, they're they're just, you consider them kind of foolish. We don't seek God. All have turned away. We run away. We cower from the things of God. We're cowardly. It says we've become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. I don't have to worry about offending you this morning. The scripture already does that. You know, it just just calls it like it is. I know it's not popular to talk about sin. Uh, sometimes we say, I made some mistakes. Uh, other times we say, I made some bad choices. This is a real popular one. We say, it was someone else's fault. Uh, you've probably heard this story several years ago. A lady uh, buys a hot cup of coffee at McDonald's, 
puts it between her legs because she was in the drive-thru, drives away, spills the coffee on her inner legs, gets severe burns, and sues McDonald because their coffee was hot. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, don't you know that coffee is served hot? And I think she actually won that lawsuit because we don't want to take responsibility. It's, we always want to say it's someone else's fault. What I love about the scriptures is scriptures don't play such foolish games. It clearly calls us what we really are. Of course, one of the biggest lies that's told in our society is that we are basically good people. Now, I never got this. Uh, I understand you go to a funeral and you're there and, you know, Jimmy, he was a good guy. I understand that because it's kind of weird to say, you know, Jimmy was a pagan and he was evil. And now that he's dead, he's going to burn in hell forever. That's not normally a popular message to preach at a funeral. Um, In fact, I've never heard that done before. Uh, But it's like not everybody is good, you know, We're, we're, we're bad. Here's the thing. Some people say, well, you know, people are good, but society's bad. Okay, society's made up of people. If all the people are good then society's good. But if you watch the nightly news or, or you're on the internet, wherever you get your news source from, at the end of that time, you don't say to yourself, wow, our world is so good. All 7 billion people on planet Earth are just good, wonderful people. You don't walk away with that impression. In fact, the more you watch the news, normally the more depressed you get. You hear about crazy things happening in the world. It's like 20 years ago, this wouldn't happen. 30 years ago, this wouldn't happen. But it's happening now. It gets worse and worse. We live in a messed up, broken world. That's what we really are about. Here's what Jesus knows about us, and I love this passage in John 2, 24 and 25. During the time he was in Jerusalem, those days of the Passover feast, many people noticed the signs he was displaying, and seeing they pointed straight to God and trusted their lives to him. But Jesus didn't entrust his life to them knew them inside and out, knew how untrustworthy they were. He didn't need any help in seeing right through them. So here's a question just for you to ponder this morning. If all people are basically good, then why didn't Jesus trust them? If you and me are basically good, if the people back then were basically good, why didn't Jesus trust them? Because Jesus knows what's in our hearts. He knows what we're truly all about. You know, for those of you that have had children, I've had, uh, my wife and I have three kids, Jamie, Jason, and Julia, and when they're, they're babies, they're just so precious. You know, I, I always love when uh, my wife would, would maybe give Jamie a bath, and uh, then you put him in his, his little clothes, and those little knit caps they put him on when it's kind of cold, they're so cute, and then she'd wrap them up, and she had the ability to wrap them up. You're talking about swaddling clothes, you know, he was like this, and, and, and uh, you put him in the crib, and he's just sleeping, and then your voice changes, like, oh, he's so pretty precious little baby and you're taking pictures of on facebook look precious little baby in the crib you talk like that i don't know why you talk like that but every parent does that with their little babies they talk like that and other people are like yeah and he's so precious you know other people talk like that it's really weird and then as the baby starts to get a little older and he's toddling around and i think of brian and melanie nagel's baby like oh look at the baby toddling around look he's going all over the place look at him go and we walk around like this i'm gonna get you we do that you know and then he takes his first steps, and you're like calling your mom and dad, baby took first steps. And then boom, it's so exciting. And we're posting pictures of his first steps. And then somewhere between uh, 16 months and two years old, you know, baby's becoming a toddler, and they got a little cookie, and you're like, hey, share a cookie with daddy. And they're like, no. 
all mine. And you're like, what happened? When did my baby become demon child? Okay, here's the thing. Baby didn't change. Baby is finally able to communicate what was in his or her heart at birth. What was in your heart at birth. What was in my heart at birth. We're sinful, selfish people. We are not super people in need of a celebration. We are sinners in need of a savior. God is the one who draws us to him. Uh, For some, it happens as a child. For others, as a teenager. And for others, as an adult. I like this passage of scripture in Luke chapter 18. Jesus is telling the story. It's so powerful. He told his next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and looked down their noses at the common people. Two men went up to the temple to pray One a Pharisee, the other a tax man. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this, Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid like this tax man. I fast twice a week and tithe on all my income. Meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up, said, God, give mercy, forgive me a sinner. Jesus commented, this tax man, not the other, went home, made right with God. You know, the first step in getting right with God is to have a tax man moment. The scripture says that we must be born again. And it's simply talking about a spiritual change. It's not about head knowledge of God. There are people that have memorized all 66 books of the Bible and they can tell you all the Old Testament stories and the New Testament stories and and, and all kinds of things about the Bible. But the 18 inches from here down to here, or maybe it's 12 inches, nothing's happened. There hasn't been a heart change. To know God, there has to be a heart change. There has to be a taxman moment. And the question is, for you, have you had that taxman moment in your life? You know, for some people, the taxman moment is very moving. It's very emotional. There's a lot of weeping and crying. They're just, they're so broken before God and they give their life to him and they're so thankful for his grace and mercy that they, they're crying and weeping and, and that's fine. And there's others who are kind of stoic by nature. Not a lot of weeping and crying, but they know there's been a heart change. Uh, for some... They can tell you, on this day, that's when I committed my life to Christ. And for others, they can't point to a day. It's, it's a season in their life. Something was going on this day. I don't know when, but it was around this time that I committed my life to Christ. There was that heart change. I want to encourage you, if you haven't had that tax moment, tax man moment today, you, you can have it. God's wanting you to serve him right now. I think most of you in this room have probably committed your life to Christ, you, you've, you've bowed a knee, bowed a heart to God, and you begin to grow in your faith. And as you begin to grow in your faith, uh, you want to honor God with your life. And so in that process, you want to serve him more. Now, it's important to understand this. Work does not equal love. Some of you go to work every day, but you don't love your job. Okay, work doesn't equal love, but love does equal work. As you fall more in love with Christ and you realize more and more of what he's done for you, uh, you want to serve him more. You have a changed heart. You want to step up and and you want to do more and you want to get involved more. A changed heart 
changes the way we conduct ourselves. And this is what casting crowns was talking about. That those people are supposed to have changed hearts and so they're reaching out to others instead of judging them. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians and this is kind of the key scripture I wanted to focus on today. Damon, during our campaign, kept mentioning this scripture. This was kind of the focus scripture. And every time I, I read it, it kept capturing my heart. Philippians 1.27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And I kind of just want to work through it and break it down. The first two words there, uh, whatever happens. You know, when you come home from work and you tell your spouse, hey, I got a raise or I got a promotion, it's a little easier to serve Jesus. When a child comes home from school with a good report card, it's a little easier to serve Jesus. When you and your spouse are, are getting along and the communication's going well and there's, there's love in the marriage, it's a little easier to serve Jesus. When you come home from the doctor with a good report, it's a little easier to serve Jesus. But it gets a little bit harder when those things are in reverse. When you have to come home from work and say, I got laid off. When you get a call from the school that your child's acting up. When the communication between your, you and your spouse is almost non-existent, it's kind of icy front at your home. When you go to the doctor and you get a bad report. And what Paul is letting the Philippians know is that they have to be prepared in their heart, in their mind, and their soul for whatever happens. What Paul would say to us today is that you need to mentally prepare whatever happens in your life. You know, when you think about the original disciples, uh, Judas committed suicide, and the apostle John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. But the rest of the disciples were martyred for their faith. And most likely they were asked before they were martyred, will you renounce your faith in Christ? And to a man they said, no, we won't. We've seen the risen Christ and we're going to follow him in life and we're going to follow him in death. In fact, the apostle Peter wanted to be hung upside down because he didn't deem himself worthy enough to die the same death as his Lord did. All these men had before that time prepared their heart, mind, and soul that whatever happens, I'm following after Christ. And that's what we're challenged to do this morning. That whatever's going on in your life, that you're prepared to follow Christ. It's easy to follow Christ when things are going well in your life. The real question is, when everything's falling apart, are you still going to follow Christ? They had reached the point of maturity that they're ready for whatever happens. And then I love the next two words in here. It says, conduct yourselves. Notice that Paul is emphasizing that we are supposed to conduct ourselves and not others. You know, it's very easy for us to conduct others. I have this problem. If only my wife would. If only my kids would. If only the teacher would. If only so-and-so would. If only they would do other things, then my life would be easier. How many of you have the ability to conduct others in your life? Some of you don't, I don't want to raise my hand. Yeah. If only my, my spouse would, if only my boss would, if only the pastor would, if only people at the church would, if only, and we have this, this idea of conducting others, but Paul does not tell us to conduct others, he tells us to conduct ourselves. Conduct right here. 
When I first came to know Christ, I was going to Abundant Life over on Humbert Road, and the senior pastor there was George Cope. And I remember he made this great statement uh, that I've kept to, to this day. When it comes to others, operate with grace. When it comes to yourself, operate with holiness. And most of the time, we switch that around. Most of the time when we mess up, we want people to extend grace to us. We're like, you know, I'm just a human being. I make mistakes. I'm not perfect, so you should forgive me. But when you mess up, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? Why can't you get with it? Aren't you a follower of Christ? But it's supposed to be the other way around. When it comes to others, we extend grace. When it comes to yourself, we're called to holiness. In conducting yourself, you have to be honest about your own behavior. So another question for you to think about this morning. Have you been improving or declining over the last three months or six months? Are you becoming more like Christ? Or is your behavior less like Christ? Paul then emphasizes that we live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Simply saying, uh, the way that Jesus lived his life, his teachings, his death, even though obedience to his father, death on a cross, he's calling us to live like that. We're never going to be like Christ, and we're never going to be perfect until uh, we get to heaven, but we are called to live a life that mirrors Christ. You know, last year, there were a couple people in our congregation, a couple families that needed vehicles. They, did, they didn't have the money, they needed a vehicle. And there were other families in our congregation that step up, stepped up and gave those vehicles. That's an example of mirroring Christ. We have a, a group uh, that goes out once a month, the James Gang. It was mentioned in announcements. They go out, and men and women go out, and they serve people in our church. A few months ago, the youth group went with the James Gang. We went to this uh, lady's house, and we were raking leaves and, and, and cutting down uh, limbs off of trees, and we were there for three or four hours, and there was probably 20 of us there, and I loved it. I loved it because it was the body of Christ serving someone else in the body of Christ, no strings attached. And I remember this lady came out to me and, and talked to me later, and she was just so overwhelmed by you know, all that we had done. And that's what it's supposed to be about, us serving one another. That type of behavior mirrors Christ. You might be saying, well, I don't have an extra car to give, or my schedule doesn't allow me to be part of the James gang. It's not necessarily those two things. It's about as you grow in Christ saying, there's an area where I want to serve, where I want to mirror Christ, where I want to be like him. And then Paul, in my opinion, in in this next part, kind of focuses on the private life of the believer's. He says, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence. The Apostle Paul was the Billy Graham of his day. Uh, When he walked in, he had earned the respect of everybody. Every church that was started was started by the Apostle Paul. He had worked hard. And so I'm guessing when the Apostle Paul showed up, you know, they they straightened their tie and they, they got sharp because it's Paul, he's coming. But it's not just when he's there is in his absence when he wasn't around how were they behaving and so my question for you is when other people aren't around how are you behaving you know a few months ago a person was sharing with me a line from a, a tv i don't know if it was a movie or a show whatever it was and in the in the show they said a person has three types of persons about them there's their public person their private person and their secret person So like when you come to church today, you put on your public person. 
See, when I talk to parents who have students in the youth group, I'm like, man, your student is so amazing. It's just wonderful to work with. And the parent looks at me like, you haven't spent enough time around my child. Why do they say that? Because I'm saying the public person of the student. We all have our public persona that we present to people. And then we have our private person. And the private person is what our family sees. They see us in our PJs. They see us with our hair mussed up. They, they can smell our bad breath. They, they know when we're angry and upset. They see our private person. And we normally only expose our private person to those closest to us. And then there's our secret person. The secret person that we don't want anybody else to know about. There's some challenging questions for you this morning. Husband or wife, how do you behave when your spouse isn't around? Mom and dad, how do you behave when the kids aren't around? Students, how how do you behave when parents aren't watching or the teacher isn't watching? How do you behave when the boss isn't watching? Or maybe how do you behave out in public when you don't think anybody else from our church is around? Is your secret person being exposed? See, our Heavenly Father, He sees all three. Nothing is hidden from Him. Now this verse, this whole passage, Philippians 1.27, was written to the whole church. But I want to pause for a moment and just consider how it affects you and me personally. For some of you this morning... It's time to get right with God. It's time to have that tax man moment. You've been nibbling around the edges of things that are spiritual, and it's time for a tax man moment. And at the end of the service, I'm going to pray. And when I pray, if if you want to pray with me, just at your seat and say, God, I I need you in my life. You can do that or have a prayer team down front. Opportunity there. For others of you, though, that have had that tax man moment, uh, it's time to embrace some holy living that God has called you to. You see, holy living, brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't comparing yourself to the neighbor down the street. It's looking at your life and you look at God and say, well, I'm I'm imperfect, I'm I'm not righteous like he is. But with the Holy Spirit's help, we become more like Christ. It's really about comparing your life to how you were three months ago or six months ago. Are you more holy today in your walk with Christ than you were three months ago or six months ago or a year ago? And if the answer is yes, great, keep going that direction. If the answer is no, then it's time to repent. I know we have a smaller audience today, but even in this size of the audience, there are some of you, I know right now, the Holy Spirit's tapping on your heart. There's some things that you've been involved in that maybe nobody else knows about. It's your secret person. God knows about it. He's tapping on your heart saying, it needs to stop. This isn't the holy living that God has called you to. But what does this passage mean for our church? It says here, whatever happens... You know, God forbid a tornado would come and and wipe out this building. But this building isn't faith fellowship. You and me, we are faith fellowship. We're a family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. If faith fellowship is your home church and you're a follower of Christ, then we're brothers and sisters in Christ. The good things about us, the bad things about us, warts and all, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And our attitude is that we would move together, we'd move forward in Christ. That it doesn't matter whatever happens, whatever, whatever evil the enemy has for us. We're going to move forward together in Christ. And then it says to conduct yourselves. That we are people of grace and mercy to those in our community. That when we go out, we don't extend judgment. We extend grace. Holiness with us. Grace towards our community. 
in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, that as a church, we are known by our love for one another and service to others. Whether people in this community see us in person or just hear about us, that they will hear good things. There's another question for you. Are you helping or hurting that process? Is your behavior out in the community helping what people think about faith fellowship and relationship with God, or is it hurting it? And then it follows up with this. I know you will stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Standing firm in one spirit means that we need to have a one spirit mentality. Let me just share with you a little bit about a one spirit mentality. If you ever come to church and you're thinking, boy, I hope uh, the parking attendant gives me a good spot. I hope the coffee's hot. I hope there's a spot at the cafe table. I hope so-and-so shakes my hand and hugs my neck. I hope the band plays all my favorite worship songs. I hope the preacher tells three funny stories and doesn't go too long. And I hope no one really talks to me after the service so I can get out of here because i got all these errands. That's not a one-spirit mentality. That's a me mentality. And just so you know, and I hope I'm not bursting your bubble, but maybe I am for some of you, church is not about you. Church is all about him. It's about exalting him and glorifying him and giving praise to him. And it's about loving him and loving others by serving others. It's not about coming to church and saying what I get. It's about coming to church with an attitude of what can I give. That before you leave your house in the morning, you'd pray, God, I'm so excited I get to be in the house of God. Today is a perfect day, perfect example. People look at the snow and they go, I'm not going to get out in this. And your attitude is, snow or not, I'm here. That's the attitude of a one-spirit mentality. I'm going to be in the house of God because I get to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't matter whether you have the closest parking spot or the farthest one away. You just can't wait to get in to shake some hands and hug some necks. It doesn't matter if the band is playing all your favorite worship songs or none of them. You're going to worship with your whole heart because it's not about the song that the band's playing. It's about exalting him. It doesn't matter whether the preacher has three funny stories or no funny stories, that you're ready to listen and get a nugget of truth that you can apply to your life for that week to be more like Christ. That's a one-spirit mentality. That's what we're called to, to have that attitude. I'm going to ask the band if they would come up at this time as we're going to be closing. I've only been here for less than two years but I've asked about the history of this church. In late fall of 2004, uh, this church was started. And God has done some amazing things in the last 10 years. And he wants to do even more amazing things and works in us uh, in the next 10 years. Uh, But for that to happen, like God wants it to happen, we have to have a a one-spirit mentality. We have to be of of one faith. And so here's what we're going to do in closing. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and as I'm praying, there were two challenges issued. Maybe you need to have a tax man moment, and you need to pray and ask God into your life today. And the other is, maybe you realize there's some areas of your life where you're not living like God wants you to live, and you pray, God, forgive me for some of my behavior. Help me to repent and get right with God. And then after I get done praying, the band's going to sing a song, and as they're singing, here's the challenge for you during that song. If you're saying, you know what? I want to be of one spirit, one faith with faith fellowship. Then I want you to stand. Just, you don't have to move out. I just want you to stand. And when you stand, you're not standing for other people. 
It's not standing to get noticed. It's basically when you're standing, you're saying, God, I want you to recognize in 2014, I'm with this church. I'm connected to this church. I'm here to serve. I'm here to love on you. Now, if you don't want to stand because you're like, that's a kind of a big commitment. I'm not ready to make that commitment. There's no shame in not standing. In fact, I'd rather you not stand than just to stand to show off to someone else. Don't be like the Pharisee in the passage of Scripture we read. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word and and what it challenges us. Lord, I know that uh, just a little bit before I was 16 years old, uh, I needed that tax man moment in my life where I had to get right with you. And maybe there's someone or some people in this room tonight that, that this morning have not got right with you yet. They've been nibbling around the edges. And I pray for them that today is the day that they would give their heart to you, that they would confess. They would say, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And I also pray for others who, they're committed to Christ, but they haven't been committed to holy living lately. There's some things in their life that are just dishonoring you, and you've been convicting them, and I pray today uh, would be a day of repentance. Lord, give us the courage to be of one spirit and one faith, contending for the gospel together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.